Hello, welcome to Moms Changing the World. This is your host, Akua Walker, Child Development Nurse Practitioner and CEO, Chief Encouragement Officer, introducing the new podcast, which is the place for moms to find encouragement, hope, and inspiration, where we're supporting moms in the trenches of motherhood. You will receive practical tips and strategies to address the developmental needs of your children with a positive parenting perspective in mind. Here at Moms Changing the World, we are moms on the journey of changing the world, one child at a time, one day at a time. Hello, welcome to Moms Changing the World, where we are busy changing the world one child at a time, one day at a time. I am so excited to have a good friend and community advocate with us today for the interview, Shanice Stevenson. Before we hear more about her, I like opening up our episodes with a proverb that kind of goes along with what we'll be talking about today. And so this time I was able to actually find two that I think are pertinent. The first is a Swahili proverb that says, unity is strength, division is weakness. And the second goes, many hands make light work, which I use all the time, but didn't realize is from Tanzania, the Haya people. So both thinking about unity and working together I think is quite appropriate for this interview today with Shani Stevenson, who's always, as long as I've known her, been about working together to make our community better. Shani holds a master's in social work administration from the University of Cincinnati. She has had a variety of organizational um, and family service experiences, working with young children, their families, and communities in which they live. Most importantly, Shani is a wife, and a parent of three. Two are in high school and one in college. Her children have diverse health and educational needs. She works at a local private school and just started a company, Spark and Passion, a personal coaching and consulting practice. Personally, I know Shanice for quite some time, and I've always looked up to her as kind of a a big sister in the faith. We met at our church, Abundant Life Christian Fellowship, decades ago, and even before we were moms. I remember we would do prayer walks in the community that we lived in, not too far from each other. She has always been active in in ministry. She, not only in, in her own right, but also as a pastor's wife, married to one of the assistant pastors at the church for a long time, and also has helped and worked with me to bring some of the health uh, ministry events together that uh, I would do. Uh, In the 2000s, we did health screening events uh, with the partnership of the Bay Area Community Health Advisory Committee together, all about bringing awareness and and screenings for the preventable illnesses that affect many in the African-American and diverse communities that we live in. And more recently, we have worked together in the last couple of years on a women's health event at, a, at our church, as well as a cooking demonstration that was also brought by the Bay Area Community Health Advisory Committee. So uh, all this time, all these years, I've felt like I've gotten to, to know and grow alongside uh, Shani. So good morning. So glad to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. So why Thank don't you tell you. us, you know, in your own words, I read the bio already, but why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I think, who am I? I'm Shani, <laughs> of course, and uh, I am a parent, um, foremost a wife, a believer in Christ. I am a woman who is thriving to make a difference in this world. And when I say world, I, I mean my small world, my family, my kids, my community, but also leave a mark in the larger world. So that when my days have gone by, I, you know, there's, there's this term of good and faithful servant, you've done my job. And so that my life is meaningful to someone else. I don't necessarily have to have a statue or a billboard, (laughs) but that what I've done has, has impacted someone else. Who else am I? I'm, I'm a trained social worker. My husband said it's very unique. 
for a person to have a a degree in the same field that <laughs> that you've they been in for twenty five years. So I have a bachelor's and master's in social work, and social work has become part of who I am and my culture, my identity. Whether it's a wife, whether it's a mother, whether it's a daughter of the Lord and Savior, or whether it is a daughter of my my birth parents, so it has really defined who I am. And I think, actually, I was who who I was, and social work mm-hmm. actually fit into who I am. That's great. That's great. I love starting off very practical as far as you know, uh, go to meals because we as moms are always cooking and always trying to figure out what to put, you know, at the table to feed our families. So um, if you, you know, if you have some, uh, some go-to meals, especially as we've been, you know, quarantining and transitioning with all of 2020, uh, what, what have you uh, relied on and gone to? Um, It's not been very good. Um, My son actually told me the other day, you guys don't cook anymore. (laughs) I was like, I think we got cooked out during the quarantine. I was like, yeah, we we were cooking something earlier. We had great vegetables and all this good stuff. But I also think um, one of my go-to, which was not very good, was the ice cream and the processed food, like chips and things that I sort. And although it was a great comfort for a little while, I am now back on trying to eat like I was before the COVID, which is more fruits, more vegetables, and really trying to eat more of a balanced meal. You know, you know, I have a medical condition called diabetes, so I have to really be careful with how I eat and get my A1C down. But also because of quarantine, I think for me, just really even though I I don't think I was depressed or anything, but I think I was a little down being in the house all the time and seeing the same people, although I love them deeply, Uh, (laughs) but not having a change of scenery was really hard. And so I think my go-to was eating. And so now it's like nuts and yogurt and I bought more fruit and the kids are eating fruit. And so I'm I'm feeling good about that. Yeah. And I think you're not alone there. I mean, I think that as a nation, you know, we we saw that a lot of us, because when we're in seasons and times of stress, we we tend to, our body and our brain tries to protect us. And so we Absolutely. literally, you know, our brain goes into kind of that survival and comfort mode. And so a lot of us, you know, had some, some times or some days or some, you know, some weeks or months of, you know, the comfort eating. But you know, so glad to hear that we can all we can always get back on the train, as you said. We can always, you know, find that way back to the the healthier place that we want to be for ourselves and our families. So, thank you. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So, did you always want to be a mom? It's interesting because I, I read that question. I was like, hmm, let me reflect on that one. I think that I knew I wanted to be a mom, and I knew I wanted to be a wife. I, I I think early on, particularly a wife and then a mother, for me, I knew I wanted that. I knew I enjoyed kids and families. I knew I enjoyed family. Like, I, you know, I was very close to my family, but I didn't know motherhood was going to be this way. So I, I think there was some romanticizing of family. <laughs> I now have some more realities and I still want it, uh, but I would have prepared a little bit differently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. If, I wonder if there is a way to be fully prepared to be a mom. <laughs> Sometimes I don't know <laughs> until you jump in. Uh, you just don't feet. know until you, you have it. And I'm exactly. just like, oh, this, this is different than what I thought it was going to be. Gonna be. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, you know, tell me a little bit about how you make an impact. Um, you know, as a social worker and in some of your, you know, your current ventures and and as a mom, you know, how you impact children, you know, inside your home and outside your home on a, like a regular basis. Interesting. I was glad that you asked that question. How do I impact my home and outside of my home doing the work that I do? I would say that I knew I always wanted to help people. I've had some um, negative experiences around resources that really could have shifted whether or not I even went to college, Um, starting as early as high school, um, individuals making decisions about me, whether it's because of how well I did in school or how well I didn't do in school by the color of my skin. Sometimes I felt 
sometimes it's by, you know, fortunately I lived in uh, the suburbs of Cincinnati, Ohio. So I didn't have the zip code thing, but I definitely had the race and social economic. And um, when I say social economic, not necessarily low, but middle class. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. And, and particularly grades like that, that, that plays a lot about how people think about you and mm-hmm. what your potential or non-potential, what people call promise now, um, which I don't like any of those terms. Um, mm-hmm. But so that experience really pushed me. I knew I wanted to do something. I just didn't know what, right? So if, mm-hmm. if you're first generation college student, you don't, you don't really know all your options. All I saw was really hardworking parents who did well by people, took people in our home, who also served at church, particularly my mom and my dad was in construction. My dad cut everybody's grass on the, on the street. Like, Mm -hmm. and we had people coming in and out of our house, very similar to families. Now what people would call sometimes overcrowded, but we had different people living with us for different points of their life. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that could be because your mom, you're a young mom and you're, you're no longer allowed to live at home or maybe your parents just got out of the service and they're settling into the community. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you went out as a young adult and a young family and you just needed to come back to save money. Or maybe it's because your mom died because you were in high school and you needed to finish out your senior year. Or maybe it's because a family member is really struggling with some type of issue and need to have a place to live for a short amount of time. Or maybe it's because someone just needs to drop by and see your grandmother uh, because she gives really good, straight up, straightforward, blunt advice. (laughs) Or maybe it's because grandma has a garden in the back and you're able to come by and get some tomatoes. So my house had lots of people coming in and out in different parts of my life. I, I didn't think I wanted to be, I think I started out trying to think I was going to like, like hospitality because my family was into hospitality and I did the, you know, did the hotel thing when I was in high school learning about hospitality field. And I was like, yeah, that's not for me, but I like the helping. I like the greeting. Even when I worked at a grocery store, I like the senior days. Unlike today, I guess it's not, I guess it's shopping for seniors. That was way back when, right? And they come and they sit and they have their donuts and they give me the little list. And I would take things off the shelf. I mean, I just loved like the helping piece of it, right? Oh, that does not surprise me one bit. <laughs> so that just, it actually naturally grew into what I should be doing. And I think the experience I had of people determining who I was going to be in high school and me having to rise up out of frustration and anger actually propelled me into going to college, which then helped me to really find social work. And social work, before social work, my GPA wasn't all that great. I mean, I was there. But when I got into social work, it was a B or A. So I knew I was like in the field I was supposed to be in. And even now, the work that I'm doing, it feeds me as much as it, you know, hopefully I'm feeding it by working with young children, families from home. I've done home visiting. I've done home visiting parenting, um, using parents as teachers Mm -hmm. to working with children and infants and toddlers with developmental disability to really helping families within childcare settings and helping it become more family centered or doing what I'm doing now, which is parent coaching, parent wellness coaching, which is a wrap of family centered coaching, life coaching, wellness mm-hmm. coaching. It's all together, helping families realize their dream. It has been, I would say every area of my parenting has been manifested in the work that I'm doing because um, I'm a very authentic person, very real person. And so and I'm also based on storytelling. So my life is also part of the work. In the faith, we talk about share your testimony. In social work, we say you use yourself when necessary and when appropriate and when when it's appropriate for the other person to help them, right? And so I get a chance to say, hey, you know, that was really hard for me. You know, I really struggled with three kids. Let's talk about managing our home. Or I can say, man, my children had a health and medical condition. It was really difficult for me. Or it was a joy. Or I found that 
<laughs> this works. Oh, or man, I can speak deeper to what we don't want to talk about in parenting. Like, you know, when I had my child, it wasn't so easy. It wasn't such a good fit right away. I didn't have this aha, my hair looking all great, my makeup looking great, and I'm holding my baby. And I'm like, oh, yes, the Lord has given me a wonderful child. There, there was time I was like, really, can you take this child? You know, I'm not, uh, she not pretty. I'm not pretty. I do not want to do this right now. (laughs) So I want to be able to talk about the beauty and the love of of raising family. And I didn't always have a place for that to talk about both those things. I had some places that were really helpful, but I think that life that I've had, it actually has been parallel, which now has me doing some work that is parallel to where I'm at right now. That's great. All right. Our journey, as you said, is our story and our our legacy. And it's beautiful that from a young age, you saw that you grew up around community and family in and out of your home. And it it certainly shows, you know, in in the way that you interact with people and the community and, um, and the kind of leader that you are. So that's great. So you've touched a little on his motherhood, what you thought it would be. Do you want, have any more to expound on that? Kind of some of the realities of of motherhood and what you oh, thought yeah. it was going to be, and what it has what it actually is. Yeah, I think for me, one, I grew away grew up away from my family, so meaning that I, in my prime years of growing up as a young adult into adulthood into responsible parenthood, I was away from my mom and dad. We didn't have video. We only had telephone and we had the, the plane to come visit each other, but it's 2000 miles. Right. And so I don't know about your family, but we, we didn't have money to frequently fly back and forth every three months or whatever the case may be. It might've been twice a year. They may have come out once I would have come out once. Um, and as the kids got older, it actually got less frequent, like a year, <laughs> every year I go back. Right. Because it's, you know, it's, $3,000 now to get back or whatever the cost, the total cost to flight and go there and vacation there as well as see family and friends. Um, and so I think one of the things that really impacted me was feeling isolated as a parent and it not fitting the dream, if that makes sense. Mm. So in in some ways, yes, I had this beautiful, particularly my first child, I had this beautiful baby girl. I mean, she was gorgeous. Mm. And in my opinion, at least. Yeah, no, yeah, no, I agree. She was, I was there. She was gorgeous. She was gorgeous. <laughs> and yet she was also, we knew prior to her being born, we knew in the womb that she was fearfully and wonderfully made. And she had a 25% chance of having sickle cell. Um, so you are going through this pregnancy with this anticipation, right? Mm-hmm. Of this baby and the anticipation of what is going to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I already knew what some parents don't know. They don't know what their child is going to be, what the chances are going to be, what they're going to challenges are going to be until you, after you go through the delivery process. Mm-hmm. But these prenatal tests allows you to make decisions up front. And so one of the decisions that we had to make is do we do we abort? Do we keep do we parent or do we, you know, adopt out um, because of the medical condition? Of course, we chose to parent because we believe we love her regardless of Mm -hmm. whatever medical condition she had or we didn't even know if it was going to, she, we, we didn't even know her gender. We just knew what her <laughs> medical needs were going to be. Wow. Um, and so we knew that um, we needed to pray now and prepare. And it was scary. And I didn't always have someone to talk to about it. And when she came and four days later, you get the call that she has sickle cell. Um, she actually has beta thalassemia. Beta sickle beta, you tell me beta. I always say it wrong. (laughs) It's also early in the morning, so I'm getting tongue tied. So, um, beta sickle beta thalassemia, there it is. Mm -hmm. But in short, it's sickle cell, right? Yeah. And, um, when we had her, she's the most beautiful thing. And four days later, on a telephone call, Mm -hmm. someone calls you and says, She has it. 
and I have a loving husband who was here, but there was something inside of me that was sad. I didn't want her to go through this. It's not that I had to go through this because it's not my body, it's hers. Mm -hmm. And you only have an image of what it could be. I'm in a community that I don't know. Everybody, a lot of people know each other from childhood. Everybody's like very excited that they're born and raised in this community of East Palo Alto. And here I am reigning from Cincinnati, not around childhood friends, childhood family members. My my birth family, both, both sides of my family is pretty large and no one to call. And so, no, it wasn't what I expected, right? And yeah. parenting was hard. Breastfeeding was hard. Like, <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm like? I'm like, this thing hurts. And you got sick of cell, really? I got to breastfeed you. <laughs> like, you know, and getting that message mm. of what are the two things I can do to keep her healthy? Because there is no mm. cure for sick of cell. Mm. I'm so happy we have sick of cell testing, um, that we have research that's going on for cures. But we don't have a cure. We have things that help you maintain the pain management, to manage the pain management. And let me go back a little bit so people know what sickle cell is. Please do. You know, maybe Akua, you can help me since you probably have the medical knowledge. But basically how I've been explaining it and how my daughter explains it, it is a blood condition that when your red blood cells don't get enough oxygen, think of a kidney and it, it has that little shape to it. But when it doesn't have the oxygen, it go it curves up even more and it cuts off the oxygen in the bloodstream. Mm-hmm. And that cutting off of the oxygen allows for excruciating pain mm-hmm. in your body. On a bad day, it's hospitalization. On a good day, it just feels like it, what my daughter would say, like you ran a mile, you just feel achy and tired. Mm-hmm. And so it does limit her capacity at some point of how much physical activity can she run like other kids who just play until they sweat and fall out, right? No, that's not her. Like, and everything that we take advantage of, of like moderation and water and taking your time and breathing and getting enough sleep, it is mandated for her so that she does not go into what is called a pain crisis. Right, right. Yeah. No, that is a, a great explanation, and um, and you've lived it, you know, as the mother, you know, of a, of a child. And I have other friends who also have um, you know children with sickle cell, and it it is it is quite a family experience because, it as is. you said, you know, not only for that child who has to really uh, learn how to live in a preventive mode you know, and to balance, like you said, the things that we just take for granted, but the family around the child has to also support that and, and, you know, kind of help enable that to, to happen. And so, um, yeah. And then, then when there's a crisis, then all, you know, hands on deck have to really focus and help um, the child or teen or adult, you know, with, uh, with a crisis. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. It, you know, it's still, makes me take a deep breath um, because of the impact and the deep love that we have and that we chose her because we knew that God chose us and we chose her uh, with all her imperfections of what the world may see is actually going to end up being her superpower. Um, And um, we embrace that. But when she was born, I asked the genetics, what are two things that we could do? Okay, stop talking to me about abortion. We're going to keep her. Tell me what we can do. I'm a social worker. We do things. That's right. You are (laughs) a problem. (laughs) What do I do? And she said, only thing I can reach. I'm sure she said some more profound things, but only thing I heard And you know this by working with patients. Sometimes you don't hear all the information Mm -hmm. when you've just been told some devastating news. Mm -hmm. And she, all I heard was you need to breastfeed and make sure she's on health insurance. Mm -hmm. Those are the two things. And so I I am an advocate for kids having health insurance, especially for kids with pre-existing conditions. Mm -hmm. Um, And that includes children with special needs, special health care needs, medical needs. Like I am advocate for that because she could not help 
being born with sickle cell. I did not know I had the sickle cell trait and my husband did not know he had the beta trait. We did not yeah. know this stuff till we got together. Right. <laughs> it's, it's like, we and didn't know. That's why sometimes family, that's how it is. Yeah, yeah. My family was shocked. They said, oh, what? <laughs> you know, everybody started talking to each other in the family, trying to get the family history. Where did this come from? Right. And so I breastfed like a crazy woman. Like I was, <laughs> I was going to be a working mom. Cause you know, to live out in California, you got to work. And yeah. So, yeah. so here I am five o'clock in the morning before she gets up at six. Cause you know, I have to pump before she ate or I would dry mm. all up. So mm. I'm up at five o'clock, you know, sleepy eyed, bre- pumping, then breastfeeding four or five times. I had so much breast milk for her that even after I stopped, I still had a month left of milk. (laughs) And I was, I mean, and I was at home, you know, unfortunately I was home a very short time, Mm -hmm. less than three months. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I had a lot of milk and Mm -hmm. I felt this huge burden to breastfeed and to work to keep health insurance. Does you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. so Absolutely. That, that you know, if those are the only two things I could do, then I did it. You oh, know, but you are you. going to be dead at least the <laughs> six months, and you will have health insurance because my baby will get the medical care and I will build her a new system. Like that's, that's right. how I felt. That's right. <laughs> And yeah, we've talked in previous interviews about mama bear. You know, there's nothing like a mama bear kicking into gear Uh to take care of. We rise up. Yes, that's right. That's right. And I I like that, you know, kind of advice for young moms. I think one of the mantras in our house was feed the baby, feed the baby, feed the baby. Because Uh so much of kind of those early days, weeks, months is about feeding the baby. And so Uh if you're at your fortunate and you can do the breastfeeding, you know, and there are so many amazing lactation consultants. And now with all these different pumps and shields, there are so many resources to help uh, moms with breastfeeding. And if that's, you know, not possible, or if that's not your choice, then there's so many, you know, formulas. I mean, there's so many ways. And the importance of feeding the baby regularly is huge because that is a big part of how their whole body, their whole health is established, right? Through that early and frequent nutrition. So thank you for, oh, for, for reminding us. Um, oh, yeah. And, and I remember I, when the little ones were born, you know, yes. one of the nice things about yes. being in community together for decades. I mean, they oh, you, my baby, God. you make some big, cute babies. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. It, it's, you know, it's interesting. My my mom came, you know, uh, Zari was a, you know, my oldest is now 19. When I had her, She's just like her personality. It took forever to get her delivered. I was like, I felt like I was like a weekend delivery or something. I think I went to church that morning. I was in delivery at church. I was like 10 o'clock. They're like, what's wrong with you? My mom was like, she's, you know, she's just having contractions. And people were like, what are you doing here? I was like, don't worry about it. She's been in contractions a long time. I was like, yeah, since yesterday. (laughs) Wow. That night, the doctor was like, just walk. It's not time for you to come in. I was like, how long is this? I was like, so it's like, so when she was born, she was my first one. I didn't know what to pray for. Now I know what to pray for. Quick, healthy deliveries. Like I I think I was like my second and third one and they came quick and healthy. I was like, Lord, don't have me in labor 48 hours. Please, please don't have me in labor. But when I look at her, like she was so well worth the wait it takes her a, it took her a while to breastfeed. I mean, she, she was a sleepy head. She'd take one, five minutes and then she'd be out. And I'm just like, and I'm engorged. And I'm, all the time. I'm like, wake up and eat. Oh, cool. Let me stop. Cause I have that whole year. I still remember it. Like it was yesterday. It was such an adjustment. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. So When it comes to empathy and raising children, talking about race, you know, that's not an easy thing, especially in the time that we live in. So with all that is going on in the world right now, you know, how did you and are you, you know, talking to your children about race and empathy? Yeah, as a Black woman, um, and those may not, for those who are on the radio, 
um, as a black woman, and I hate qualifying that at the beginning, as a woman who is black, because black is not all of who I am, um, but it's a part of my identity. And growing up, um, coming from Ohio, which was either black or white, even if you was anything else, you either black or you white, like Mm -hmm. to come to a place where I was so overwhelmed by the diversity. Uh, When you have every walk of life, every experience. I mean, I remember going to the grocery store thinking I was remembering being in the grocery store on the cereal aisle saying, even there's diversity in cereal. Like it was so (laughs) many boxes. Yeah, I was like, why is there an owl just for cereal? Like, where's the cornflakes? Like, <laughs> yeah. Where are just the cornflakes? I don't yeah. need the brand. I don't need all this stuff. Where is just the cornflakes, right? <laughs> um, and that's kind of how I felt about California, that I was sitting, standing in this huge owl with so many different types of cereal, so many different experiences. I didn't quite know how to fit here. And hopefully I didn't lose the question. I might've lost the question this early in the morning. Um, race and but the empathy. Race piece, yeah. The race piece, how it fits into that is that in a California, I thought race was part of the culture here and that people talk in Ohio, they talk about it because either they like you or you don't, or there's systems of um, racism and Example after example, and we just knew it, and we just lived like that. Does that make sense? Like, it was a given. It was an experience. Here, you got so much diversity, and you're so overwhelmed that I actually don't think people talk about race. Mm, interesting. Um, but I knew that race exists. One of the reasons where where I live, and I, I'll share where I live. I live in East Palo Alto, which is one of the greatest cities on the peninsula. I'm sure you would say your city is the greatest. Mine is the greatest. <laughs> woop, woop, East Palo Alto, yeah. um, and I'm not born and raised here, as people would say. That's really, you know, really um, a thing here. And I was able to really grow up in a community where every social justice issue is here. You want to talk about environmental health? It's here. You mm-hmm. want to talk about how redlining impacted communities? That here. Mm-hmm. How a community of color, particularly African American, Pacific Islander, and Latino, had to fight to become a city so that no one will annex their land and they can have own their own destination? That's here. The land of immigrants, where you start. Other than San Francisco, there was a port here. We had Chinese flower gardens and all kinds of stuff. And, and then there was the, 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 the black movement that was here and so many other things. It was here. Social justice. I felt like it was in the ground. It was part of the, the makeup of the nutrients of the ground that grew flowers. Right. And so here I am get to grow up. And so my my master's degree is social work administration, which is grassroots work, organization development, all that kind of stuff. And working with families from a grassroots perspective in a very family-centered way, it was like the best place to be because you got to see what you learned, how it came to life Mm -hmm. and what it could be. And you just saw these really scrappy, passionate people. And so race was always part of the conversation here. We that, always yeah. Are you thinking about so-and-so? And are you thinking about such and such? And are you thinking? So it's like in this community, I felt like, oh, race was part of the conversation. Outside of here, race was not a conversation other than, oh, it's about being, having limited income, living in a certain zip codes. And so it wasn't talked about in this powerful way. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't actually until I found our church Um, Abundant Life Christian Fellowship, where I actually, it was a multicultural church. And that was even a shock. It took me like three years to try to like figure out like- Wrap your brain around it. Racial trauma and all this kind of stuff. Mm. And so it began to mold me of what heaven was going to look like. And so I had to learn to be humble and to learn and to have empathy. 
And social work makes you do that. That's different working with someone, but mm-hmm. it's very different being in fellowship with someone that you, I, you're from Africa. I'm from Ohio. You're like, right. I, I need it. It's different. Right. And so I had to be like, but she loves Jesus. All right. Let me, let me, okay. <laughs> let, let me lean in a little bit more. Right. Yeah. Uh, oh, you, you're, you're, oh, you had these, you were like this before Christ. Um, that you did not like people of different backgrounds. And so I grew up in Ohio with Sunday being the most segregated time of the hour to a place where I'm rubbing shoulders with the very people that I had, I, I got, I got to like, had a break with, you know, uh, a break from on the weekend in mm-hmm. my church. And I could be like, "Woo, Jesus, help me get back out there and deal with the race stuff. <laughs> you know? And now I'm rubbing shoulders with you. So it broke down some things for me. And so what does that mean for my kids? Yeah. They saw diversity. Mm-hmm. So then I had to make sense of like, okay, well, how do I put my history in here? How do I help them see it? Mm-hmm. Um, and first it starts with the empathy of people are human, right? And celebrating. Right. I actually, colorism comes up in my, in my personal past, right? Being a fair skinned black woman. Mm-hmm. And so dark, light, dark, light. My whole family is what we call, my family calls the checkboard. We got dark, light, long hair, short hair, very, very fair, caramel, everything within it, right? And so here I have two girls. So one, one, one girl is, is pretty brown skin and one girl is pretty light. One girl has a whole lot of hair and curly. One girl, it, it just goes to her neck. One ha- person's hair looks a little bit more coarse than the other. And so their body types are different and they're beautiful in their own right. They are beautiful, equally beautiful. So how does race come up? I didn't want colorism to impact them the way that it impacted me. Mm-hmm. I didn't always feel, I felt either harshness towards it or favoritism. Mm-hmm. And both that, sides of the coin. Yeah, both sides of the coin. So I wanted to make sure that they saw each other. Mm-hmm. And and I talked about their body types. So, oh, you know, you know, we talk about the big bump, having a big booty, or we talk <laughs> about like, you know, slim, and we talk about voluptuous, and we talk, and mm-hmm. but you're all beautiful because you're right. you're you're made in the Lord's eye. He knew you were gonna be different. And so being able to start talking about that. It started there. And then for my son, it was a little bit more difficult because I wanted him to, the risk of being a black male in this country is, it's real. And I'm in social work. So I know it's real and I know who I'm serving. I know who we end up serving in special ed. I know who we serve and try to prevent the prison, um, the pipeline to prison, um, and so we started talking early, but it was things like, instead of saying you're black, I would say, you know, God makes us all different kinds of shapes. I always talked about colorism because, and, or I tell my family stories, right. Or I'll tell, I also told the hard stuff too, you know, and when we see things like my son would say, why are black men getting arrested, Ma? Cause we would see some things. I'm here in East Palo Alto and other communities. And I would say, let's pray for them. I don't know if, if, if it's life circumstances, I don't know if it's targeting, but let's pray. Okay, mom, the fire truck comes by. Let's pray. All right, mom, there's a homeless person, uh, a homeless um, encampment around us. Let's pray. We see individuals, who are living on the street or having um, problems with their mind, as my five-year-old would say at that time, let's pray. Um, So that empathy started a lot earlier and and talking about that. And I think now they have a great identity of who they are. See, they're still figuring out parts of like society and things of that sort. But I'm I'm happy to say my, my oldest is like, mom, I, I'm talking to people about my sickle cell and what it looks like on me and how I felt race comes up in her, in her IEP. And she's, she didn't want to talk about, she's like, mom, I don't like this. Okay, great. How are we going to talk about this? 
or you hear history about yourself that does not fit who you are or doesn't tell the whole history, how do you challenge that? Or my youngest, who just led a protest in East Palo Alto in June, I'm like, where did that come from? Like (laughs) my son's using his gift of, um, he has the gift of community. He knows how to make community wherever he goes. Some people call it the party, the hype guy, but really it is a gift to bring communities together. together. One-to-one with people about race and what it is to be a young Mm -hmm. black man or what Mm -hmm. others experiences is because he has empathy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. And I can, I can vouch for these kids. I mean, you are raising world changers. Absolutely. I mean, they, I saw them grow up, you know, from, you know, Sunday school and, you know, babes in arms um, all the way up to, you know, for the, the women's health event that I mentioned, your youngest just, um, you know, led a, a dance crew and they choreographed themselves and did a great hip hop praise dance to my favorite uh, Kirk Franklin song. So I've seen them grow in their faith and grow in their uh, expression of who they are, you know, through various hairstyles, right, and and fashion choices. But um, I, yes. yeah, I mean, they, I was amazed to see on Facebook um, that your youngest did uh, the protest. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, the, as you guys know, there's there's a few crises going on right now. I personally think there's a moral crisis that's happening um, in our community where we're not caring for our neighbors. Yeah, we're not caring for our neighbors. And it's a moral um, crisis of the country and really the world. Oh, my gosh. And I, you know, I, I don't even know how to put that in words. Uh, we have that. We have the pandemic, which we're in. Um, and then that's that's really an environmental crisis. Um, and we are in a, we are in a race crisis. We are really in a race crisis. And fortunately and unfortunately, we are seeing what's under the carpet of the United States at this point. And it's been very impactful. Um, it's been ironic that it's all happening while we're in shelter in place. I think we're starting there was a pause in the earth um, mm-hmm. where we were able to see what's been up under the carpet for a long time. And as a person of color, I knew it was there. I think sometimes our world did not really heed that these things were there and that we, we knew we have made some progress in our world around unity, around love, around seeing each other. And there are some, I I think spiritual, I think there's some spiritual warfare around what is happening and loving each other. And thank God I went to Abundant Life Christian Fellowship um, in Mountain View at, at the time and know that race and unity can happen. And so during this time, my daughter, for the first time, my, my kid's generation, and they're 16, 17, and 19, had it good. They stood in the cereal aisle saying, wow, diversity. Woo, what a choice. And it was beautiful, right? They didn't grow up the way I did, which was not that long ago. I just want to put that in there. <laughs> it was past the civil rights. Like, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it was past the civil rights. So it's not like I grew up in the civil rights area. I, I grew up in, 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 in the 90s um, where we were having a lot of liberation, a lot of integration. It wasn't a fight to go to college. It wasn't all these, at least from my memory, right? Because I was young. My kids grew up in liberation, of we all live together. My neighbors to the right are Latino. My neighbors to the left are Fiji Indian. My neighbors down the street is white. My neighbor up the street is black. My like every like anything you can ask for, like liberation, right? And for the first time, what they read in books jumped off at the pages. 
Does that make sense? Akua? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Living history. It was love that living history. And they saw black men. Let me change that. Men who are black. Right. That's person centered language. The person first men who are black humans that are black being killed over and over and over and over and over on TV, on radio, on TikTok, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Snapchat, over and over and reshared and reshared. And as you know, it causes trauma. And when you're in that type of crisis, what do you do? Flight, freeze, or fight. She wanted to fight. That's awesome. And so she said, she got up, she said, I'm tired of this. I'm calling my friend. And he said, she says, we should have a protest. And I said, you know, go ahead, babe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what he says. Go ahead and have it, Lonnie. Why don't you go ahead and do it? She said, all right, mom. I said, yes, honey. She's texting me from her bedroom. If you have a teenager, they text mm-hmm. you in the same house. I just want to put that, <laughs> that up there. And she sent me a text saying, mom, I'm tired of this. And I said, yeah, babe, I'm, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry that it happened. And she texts me again. We got to do something. So I'm, I think she's, what I am thinking she's doing is processing, right? Because sometimes conversation with teens is actually really over text. It, you can kind of, so I'm trying to ins- understand where she's coming from. And I said, it's awfully, it's hard to hear this information, isn't it? She says, yes, this is all in text. And then she says, Mom, I want to have a protest. And I said, okay. She sent, then sends me a flyer and says, here's the flyer, Mom. This is within 10 minutes. <laughs> right? Because wow. we just texted back and forth. And, and she sends me the flyer. And I said, I'm, I'm reading. I'm trying to find my text so I can read it to you. And I said, Alana. I said, get out here. Because <laughs> she's serious. Because the equivalent of that is your mother going to the room. Girl, get up. You ain't, you come out here so we can talk about this protest thing. She had already, I said, did you send this out? No, it was in text. I said, did you send this out? She says, what do you mean? I'm confused. Excuse me, did you send this out? That's the question. Yes. Lana, get out here. (laughs) Get out here. Bring your little self here. And I said, did you really send this to someone? Yeah. Like, duh. Okay, honey. How many people did? Oh, it already got 100 hits, mom. Excuse me? Hold up. You just can't. What, what, what did you think about this protest thing? We're just going to show up at the park. No frontal lobe. Grow up underdeveloped frontal lobe. I'm just going to show up at the park and walk. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, God. And as you're watching things unfold around this country, some of the stuff, you know, was misconstrued as to, to what was happening. And, and that people... It felt like it was just a pour out of response, like walks from all over the country. Now, internationally, people, I mean, people in Europe was walking. <laughs> like people in Africa was walking. <laughs> was right. it, this, this is global. This is our world. It was global. And my daughter was like, mm-hmm, we gonna walk too, you know? And I was like, and we gonna make it peaceful, mom. And I'm thinking, how are we gonna make this peaceful? People are deeply hurt. Lord, how are we gonna do this? And being a social worker, you're connected. So I'm like, let me email a couple organiz- youth organizations. They and I remember one of our popular places to go, our our, our very prestige, you know, 
nonprofits that work with youth, they said we were all in, we were meeting over Facebook saying, who is at this flyer? Who coming to our community? Who? Because we didn't know. We didn't know. And I said, yeah. I'm sorry, that was my child. Can you <laughs> talk a little bit? And that's how it, they said, we're going to support her. Wow. And, and our, our East Palo Alto is so beautiful that it's yeah. always about youth voice. It's always yeah. been about youth development, even in the early days of its um, formation. Um, and people value youth here, really value their civic engagement. Um, and their advocacy and their voice, and they just supported her, and it turned out to be beautiful. Wow, I, I know I saw it on Facebook, and I was like, Wow, there is a world changer at work. You write it, well, it the you Lord don't... did that one. The Lord did that. One. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter the age, it doesn't matter the stage, it doesn't matter the skin color, it doesn't matter, you know, when uh, our children um, grow up with a sense of who they are and whose they are and they see you know us as parents doing this work and living this life i don't i think it has to rub off like it can't help but rub off on them and um, i was so proud to see that and so excited for her and for the community to have her step front say i'm tired and i want to do this and then you supporting her to make that happen She's definitely was, she definitely was first Timothy 412, which is let no one despise your youth, but be an example, be an example. And she definitely was an example. And she said, we're going to march because no one should die like this mom. And, And what's so much more beautiful about it, this girl valued the police and she valued the pain of losing someone. And she had the chief of police kneel, kneel for the time that they were on his neck. And it broke a community of hurt. We had heard people, oh God, cry, cry, like mourning, went to a funeral, mourning the pain and the hurt that people were feeling. It didn't matter what he did. It didn't matter what his background is. We all make mistakes. But this wasn't the first time. And so that breaking of that actually allowed us to heal. And that she didn't shun the police. And she didn't shun the the witness. that, That regardless of the violence, we are all hurting. And when we realize we are, what it was your theme, that unity is our strength and division is what? What did you say it was, Akua? Division is weakness. Division is weakness. Mm-hmm. But when we came, it started out with a few hundred people and we ended with a thousand. Wow. And every walk of life was there. Every walk, we had people come. We were like, where are these people coming? (laughs) Asians for like justice. Oh, oh, we heard about it on Twitter and we're coming down from XYZ City, Mountain View, Palo Alto, football team. People left their graduations running to come to the protest in their graduation outfits. Wow. Wow, that's incredible. Older people, police being on top of the roof, holding up their signs. Older people who said, we saw it on TV. We saw it streaming. We can't be there because of COVID, but our hearts are with you. We had older people come and sit down with Alana said, so what, what we walking for? Right. right. Oh, sweet the rights, right? right? <laughs> what That's right. What's the impact? So she got to learn a real live lesson because East Palo Alto is based in civil rights and social justice and all this stuff. She got to hear from older people who called her up, elders, legends of our community. We had people say, dropped off there, give us 300 words. We didn't have to ask nobody nothing. Like usually you got to put a letter together to get, 
people dropped off food, people dropped off water, people mm-hmm. stood on the corner, people mm-hmm. said, we are with you, young person. Mm-hmm. And she just represented us well. She said, God called me to this. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I'll make it up. Maybe mama could do <laughs> I think she was, I think God has a calling on her life to do yeah. really great things. And this was just of one course. of course. Oh, that's incredible. That's incredible. A beautiful picture of the youth, right? Leading us mm-hmm. to be better, to do better, and to not not take it anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. So as we start to wind down, yeah. you know, I see you as a mom changing the world using your voice and your work uh, as a community leader, um, as an advocate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm curious, you know, how you create balance and find joy in all that you are juggling. <sighs> yeah, girl. Um, that's the hard part, right? Um, you know, yesterday I was in a, I work for an organization I do health and education integration. Um, and, and part of it is wrapped in wellness and um, supporting families and the, the adults parent wellness. And we believe um, that parents are powerful and they are so important. They are not a bypass to the child. They are an integral piece to that child's development, to the academic academic. Um, um, success as well as their health outcomes. And so parents are essential and we believe in them. There's nothing wrong with parents, but sometimes we don't see them as people. You know this. Oh, your baby is cute. Before you was a cool Now you're, you know, tonight's mom. Like- <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> They didn't forget your name was Owen. They didn't your name was Walker. What was your main name? They didn't forget who that who that was. And, you know, and that's kind of you know, it's 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 a metaphor and it's in a real experience, but it does happen. And I think as adults, we set ourselves aside. We have our goals, we have our ideas, and we're working towards them. I'm always working towards some internal goal. Like, I may not always speak it. I may not put it on a vision board. I may not write it in my Bible, but I'm always working towards a better life for my kids and family, my personal kids. So when you think about this balance piece, and we're always talking about that, there's this thing called healthy brain platter. We just talked about it yesterday by Dr. Siegel and Dr. Rock. And they talk about these seven um, mental nutrients that you need, like a healthy balance plate Um, and these seven elements. And there's a lot of them, but the one I'll focus on when you think about adult wellness really is this idea of focus time, playtime, downtime, time in, physical time, like all these different areas. And one of the areas that stood out for me was playtime. I'm a serious person. I've always been serious, right? <laughs> My mom would say that, go outside and play. I don't want to play with them people. I, I just want to stay here and watch TV and be with my mama. Like, <laughs> you know? I'm an introvert. I don't need them. I don't need nobody. I just need to stay my I was a very well sheltered person um, by nature and, you know, by parenting. Um, and that actually grew into my parenting. So um, I learned to have fun when my kids were really young because they're going to make you go to the park. They're going to make you watch different cartoons and boy, you get to learn, watch a whole lot of Disney movies, a whole lot of Prexlar movies. And all, you, you know them, they become your life. You don't even remember what the adult movies look like. <laughs> and so um, I think the area of balance that I need and I continually need is one is to laugh because the Bible says is good medicine. Um, and when your bones are broken or, or you don't have any spirit in your bones, it can crush spirits, right? Uh, the Bible says cheerful heart is a good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. And so in parenting, I realize when my bones are dried up, I can crush a spirit. And so you do need that balance. You, you do. And, and let me change that balancing that we do it all. I'm just saying, what we talk about with the healthy brain platter is that you add it to your life every day. And I think one of the areas that I do laugh a lot at work um, because you're on, but I need to laugh more at home 
Um, I'm, I'm very blessed to have my husband um, and he has a different sense of humor. So he does make me laugh. He'll just every day, did you watch the news, man? That was hilarious. And I'm like, what about that news was hilarious. And like, he'll see life just differently. Right. So he makes me laugh, but I also need to learn how to have fun. Life isn't all about diapers and futures of the kids. And now it's like trying to get ready for college or whatever God has for him after high school. It's not all about being serious. Um, It's about having fun too. And fun because it helps those bones not get crushed um, because of um, limited laughter. I mean, life can't be all laughter and play, but there needs to be, it does something to the body to release. And so that's the area I'm growing in and the area that I had a lot of when I, when my kids were younger. Um, but I would say laugh a little more, play a little more, exercise a little more. Those are great. I thank you for that reminder to look for the humor, look for the fun, look for the play. <laughs> I mean, you know, at whatever stage they are, you know, that's going to look different. But I, I think that's a imp- very important, sometimes overlooked part of self-care is making sure to have fun, to laugh and to enjoy yourself. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for that. And I could do this for all day long. Um, <laughs> that as we you know wrap up today, were there any final words that you wanted to share as we close out? Um, yeah, I think you had asked the question about what have I learned as a mom? And I think that that's very important question um, to end on. What have I learned as a mom? That every journey along this parenting journey from prenatal to now going into young adulthood, and I have many more years to go to get through the young adults and become a grandma or elder of the family, the mother of the family. Um, Can't wait to those days uh, where I could be like, I could remember when. Uh, (laughs) But every journey has its season and it has its time. And you need other people along the way with you. Um, There's been times in my parenting that I've been isolated, either by the age of my children and not being able to be at every meeting, to be at every Bible study, to be at a very entrepreneurship meeting or business group or whatever the case may be, or yoga class, like, or, or hip hop class or whatever there are times when you adjust and you, you, it's, it's just a season of life. And I would say, enjoy every season um, and find a good group, good group of accountability partners of other moms, um, a mentor mom who can support you. Um, I, I always wonder how do I do this thing called work and be a mom? That was me. I'm a working mom. I was never a stay-at-home mom. I was never a part-time working mom. I was I, I was always a full-time mom, full-time working, and um, and a supporter of my husband in the ministry that God has put in him. And so it, it wasn't always fun. It wasn't always fun, and it it, it stretched me in ways that. I didn't know I was going to be stretched. That was that that was the part of mom stuff that no one prepares you for. <laughs> and so I would say three things. Get out of isolation, get connected. Your church may have something. There might be community mom groups. There might I mean there's Mocha moms, there are moms in touch, there are like all types of mom groups for Christians and non-Christians and different type of family makeup systems. There's family resource centers that are out there that can link you to moms. Find a mentor mom. Um, I'm a little bit like Wendy Williams, um, all, all these moms in my head, right? <laughs> and so I actually, I was never formally mentored, but I got together with other moms who, okay, you're a pastor's wife. I want to hang out with you and see how you do this pastor's wife thing and mother. Oh, you are a servant in the community. You're a nurse, you're a teacher. 
and you're raising your kids and I like how you raise your kids. So I'm going to meet with you quarterly. Oh, you're in politics. So I'm going to meet with you to say, how do you become, how do you lead in politics and raise a great child? Okay. Let me hang with you. So it's like, I realized I had to, I'm multi-dimension. And so I needed multi-dimension people around me. And I met with them. They don't know why I was meeting with them. Every three months, they'd be like, oh, you just want to talk? Yeah, mm -hmm. you're the mentor in my head. I'm going to make you my mentor and I'm going to learn from you because I am not going to fail at this thing called parenting. And of course, I've made mistakes. And of course, I'm still learning, but I am still watching others. And my hope is that they're watching me too. Um, and that has been probably one of the greatest things that has happened is to be able to pause, to enjoy, and to record what has happening in parenting, what is happening great, hard, or indifference with your children so that you can have the stories to tell. Um, and because of that, um, I, I've been able to use it in, in my work. So thank you. That's incredible. Thank you so much, Shanice. And you. can you tell us how we can get a hold of you? you do for you spark mean? and passion? Like oh, spark have, and passion. Yeah. Okay. I would say my my Gmail, which is Stevenson, S-T-E-V-E-N-S-O-N, Shanice, S-H-A-W-N-E-E-C-E at gmail.com, or you can look up Shanice Stevenson on LinkedIn. Wonderful. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Moms Changing the World with host Akua Walker. The information shared on this show is meant for educational purposes only and not intended as a substitute for medical intervention or professional therapy. All views shared on the show are that of the speakers only and do not represent any institution. To be a part of the community, visit www.momschangingtheworld.org. There you'll find ways to connect with and support the moms we interview. Join us next time for more encouragement and support to be a mom changing the world, one child at a time, one day at a time. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for listening.